Why are police photographing our license plates? What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Welcome to the Reasonable Voices talk radio show. You know, the 2015 Virginia Film Festival was incredibly successful, which is, of course, measured by more than tickets sold. It's the experience shared by all who attend, and there was much to share during the November 5th and November 8th, 2015 festival. So that's why on today's show this afternoon, we are having a wrap, if you will, interview with Jody Kilbasa to discuss the real success story of the Virginia Film Festival. Welcome to the Reasonable Voices radio talk show. How are you today, Jody? Are you feeling like uh, you're in a post-production period or are you already starting for next year? Well, I don't think we're ready to quite delve into uh, looking for next year's program, but um, uh, thank you for your very kind words about the festival. And, and, you know, you're absolutely right. We've been fortunate to have enjoyed uh, a number of years of of attendance and box office success, but that's really only a small part of the story. And I think what you referenced earlier is that the real part of the story is the level of engagement mm. we're having with the Charlottesville community, uh, the University of Virginia, and in the Commonwealth and beyond. It's, it's remarkable the number of social service organizations, cultural institutions that we partner with to screen films that create awareness about issues of importance in our community, the, the level of film guest artists that we bring in and, and sometimes actually history makers or social change agents mm-hmm. that attend the festival and support films about them and, and that, that's the real story along with the spotlight on Virginia filmmaking because we've screened a number of films like Asica, Meg Ryan's directorial debut that was shot entirely on location in Richmond and, and Petersburg, Virginia or Coming Through the Rye uh, mm-hmm. that was shot uh, around Charlottesville and Central Virginia as well. So uh, on, on those levels it's a remarkable engagement with our community. Well, I have to say, you've answered my first six questions, but that's okay. <laughs> so I, just for, for those who may not know, I should also add the Virginia Film Festival is presented by the University of Virginia and the Office of Provost and Vice Provost for the Arts. And Jody Cabasa is the um, Virginia Film Festival Director and the University of Virginia Vice Provost for the Arts. So uh, he's uh, he's wearing both hats during the festival, before the festival, and on today's show. 
So the real success, uh, I really want to delve into that because I've had these feelings. It's in part why I, I ask generally uh, uh, Jody and I talk if, if possible, during <laughs> the during the festival, which is a little difficult, but we usually speak on radio before the festival. But this is the first time we are uh, having a rap session, if you will, uh, as we say in film. The rap is the end of the day of shooting. But I, but I have had, and I know Jody, you have expressed this too. I've had this feeling about the festival in the past, as well as this year, and that is. It's the effect it has on people. It's, um, uh, I mean, you've got everything from Hollywood releases to great documentaries like Monroe Hill, and uh, and of course, as you mentioned already, there there are films that are actually made here in the Commonwealth of Virginia, even in Charlottesville. So, what is the what is it about the program you think that contributes to the success of uh, the Virginia Film Festival? Let's start with that. It's a very, very accessible medium, and mm-hmm. I think that um, you might have a film that's about a very challenging or difficult topic, uh, and, and somehow it immediately makes it more accessible to, to share it with others uh, in, a, in a communal way, in a room, sharing the, the tears or the laughter mm-hmm. or, or, or the understanding and awareness of a, of, of a topic. And then, the, you know, as you know, so many of our films, uh, we bring in some of the top um, uh, scholars from the University of Virginia, we bring in outside experts and or we bring in community experts. And there's usually a really dynamic and vibrant discussion mm. about what that film was about. Uh, yes. Sometimes with the visiting filmmakers, sometimes just the subject matter itself. And it, it, it is truly amazing how people leave that theater changed. Yes. Uh, uh, and they talk about this afterwards. I know anecdotally people come up to me and, you know, will say that, you know, I saw Son of Saul. It was, it was really difficult to, to watch that. And yet yeah, I'm so glad I did. Yes. Um, uh, you know, so beyond the entertaining part of the festival, and, you know, festival means to celebrate. And we are. We're celebrating yes. film and we're, we're celebrating storytelling and the artistry of these filmmakers. But beyond that, uh, I'm interested in screening films as well that can shape our community, that can create awareness for important issues in our community and beyond um, things that should be discussed. And uh, that, that's that's what I think people leave, uh, leave with after they leave the theaters and the discussions. You know, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think the impact, especially on the students, but, but on the, the population, and people come from out of the state, obviously, to, to be a part of the Virginia Film Festival, but I, I see the, the effect it has on the city as a, a radio news person, but also, as you're saying, it's such a great impact on the students. I mean, we are a college town, University of Virginia. I think what I saw that particularly hit me this year was that it was not just media students and film students who were impacted by this, but I, t- I talked with a number of students who were not in the arts and w- attended the festival and were moved, as you say, what what do you think? What what's driving that? I mean, I know it's a number of things. It's everything, but tell us. Well, I think that's a test 
testament to the diversity of our program. We screened uh, over 135 films in the festival. I think approximately 115 of those were feature-length films that included incredible documentaries, uh, wonderful narratives, incredible international films. Uh, and so, there, you know, theoretically, there could be something virtually for everybody yes. in the festival. And so I think we have tremendous diversity in our student body, uh, interested in a number of different things, and uh, we have the films for them. And, um, you know, when you think about it, you have an opportunity um, to see a Hollywood star turned director, as in Meg Ryan. Yes. You have the opportunity to see a legendary filmmaker who's won Academy Awards for writing, producing, and director and directing in Oliver Stone, yes. who has his own unique perspective on American political history. Yes. Um, uh, there to talk about Born on the Fourth of July and uh, with a renowned historian expert on the uh, Vietnam War, Bob Toplin. Um, you have a social change agent, artist, activist, Larry Kramer, on hand uh, to talk after his film as well. Mm -hmm. And then you have a, a legendary film critic, historian, Leonard Maltin, in to screen a, you know, a couple of classic films, The Maltese Falcon and a Police yes. Entrance. Uh, on top of all these beautiful international films that really open a window on other cultures mm -hmm. in which you can explore both our similarities and our differences. So a lot going on during the festival and a lot of opportunities for students and anyone, frankly, to engage. Yes, I, I felt that too. They were all ages, there were families, there were, you know, senior citizens. It was It was an amazing draw and to see, as you say, so many cultures both in the films themselves but also in the audience so many so much diversity and, and an interest in, in everything that was happening, not just, you know, picking a few. There were, there were people who really, who really worked the festival as audience uh, and attendees and great uh, discussions after. You, you mentioned some of the, you know, that you have partners, of course, you have UVA partners in particular. How do they contribute uh, their expertise specifically? Uh, I know we've touched on that, but let's, let's, let's talk a little more about that. And if you can name a few of them for us. Oh, you know what? Before that, if I could ask you, is it the norm? Because this was a first for me when I first was introduced to you years ago now, it seems. But um, is it the norm for a university to present a film festival? No, it's not. In fact, we're actually uh, really, in its own way, one of a kind. Mm -hmm. uh, Duke has the full-frame documentary film festival, and it's a wonderful and, uh, and important documentary film festival. Miami-Dade College uh, is affiliated with the Miami International Film Festival, but we're really the only um, major research university in the United States that has its own full-fledged full film festival like this, and, uh, you know, that's running um, a full slate of docs, narratives, uh, international films, uh, independents. Uh, and, and so it's, a, it's a definitely something that, that distinguishes the university, and yes. I think that you know, the way we distinguish ourselves from other film festivals across the United States, and there's you know, over 1,500 plus film festivals of all sizes and um, stature and programs, et cetera, et cetera, is being part of the University of Virginia, we are able to rely on the sort of uh, creative and intellectual firepower of mm -hmm. our faculty, draw on the curiosity uh, 
intellectual curiosity of our students, and yes. we happen to present this in a remarkable community with incredibly bright people mm-hmm. that are intellectually curious that love film. Ex- and so that's a very potent cocktail yes. for um, uh, filmmakers to come in to present their work. There's tremendous interest from the audiences, and they love that. Yes. Uh, so we're very fortunate to have that here and uh, to, to be able to bring in not just the filmmakers themselves, but to pair them with uh, experts from the university, from our community and beyond. And yeah. it's a really fascinating mix for people. It really is. I mean, when you think about Charlottesville, well, Virginia itself is quite a, a diverse state. That is, it's, it's as I've had some political friends of mine say, there's Northern Virginia, there's Central Virginia, there's Southern Virginia, and there's West Virginia. And so, you, you know, I won't, I won't go to the temptation of trying to explain that political POV, but, but certainly in, in Charlottesville and the surrounding counties, there, there is uh, a a culture, a history, of course. Obviously, eight presidents from Virginia, etc., and many of those presidents formed the the country's greatest documentary, uh, documentary do- documents, and are now the subjects of great documentaries. How about that? But I'm. It is fascinating to me, and I asked you that question. I knew uh, we were. Uh, the University of Virginia was was um, unique in this in producing such a wide range uh, gamut of film festival. That, um, but I just wanted to hear you explain it because I, you know, you've been in this. How long have you been the director, by the way, of the film festival? Uh, this was, was my seventh Virginia film festival, so uh, uh, going on seven years now wow. uh, here and. Uh, that I was the uh, founding executive director of the Sarasota Film Festival in Sarasota, Florida, which I founded and ran for 10 years and had uh-huh. uh, turned into one of the larger film festivals in the southeast of the United States. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you know, getting back to some of those partnerships um, yes. that we forged across the grounds and, and uh, uh, in the community, you know, each year we have a partnership with the Miller Center that explores the role of the presidency in film. Uh, we still this several years back by screening all the president's men and we yes. had Bernstein in for a moderated conversation mm-hmm. with um, Governor Gerald Belisles. Uh, this year we had a very small event with Oliver Stone which was the taping of uh, American Forum hosted mm-hmm. by Doug Blackman that would be broadcast later on television. So while the general public got to see Stone on the stage at the Paramount immediately following the screening born on the 4th of July later that evening we, we taped Stone mm-hmm. for this uh, production of American Forum to be broadcast, furthering our partnership. Um, yes. She talked about the role of the president and his own unique political perspective about the best political history with Doug Blackman, which is an uh, extraordinary conversation, and the general public will have an opportunity to see that later down the road in a few weeks. Uh, we have an ongoing partnership with the Center for Politics, uh, yes. Larry Sabato and the Center for Politics, and we had a screening of a new documentary about Selma, yes. and a number of civil rights leaders that were on hand to discuss that um, in a conversation moderated by the Center of Politics and a free screening at the Jefferson City School. And it, during the festival itself, we have you know other partnerships with uh, the Carter Woodson Institute for African and African American Studies, um, uh, with various departments and programs uh, across the grounds of the university. And then individually, we reach out to faculty that are that are experts in their field to comment on these films. In some cases, to introduce the films, to provide a context. So, for instance, Asher Beeman uh, of uh, Jewish and German Studies to introduce Thomas Saul. 
uh, on the closing night of the of the film festival. Mm-hmm. Others to participate in panels uh, for Boom and Bust, Paul Wagner's film um, yes. about the Erie Canal. We yes. had Grace Hale sitting down with him. Uh, Grace, of course, is a professor of American Studies yes. here at the University of Virginia. Uh, so, so really, you know, pretty pretty diverse partnership across the grounds, re- uh, which is great. It- and then in the community itself, with people that are experts. That's right. That's right. And uh, and and that's you know and that goes back again to to Charlottesville. Charlottesville and the University of Virginia are obviously married to one another, um, but they are they have different personalities sometimes and different levels uh, or areas I should say of expertise. There's a lot of overlapping, but I find that you can you can find. Um, a tremendous expertise and a sharing and a giving quality. Lots of people come in to, uh, as I did, sort of, I, I didn't come to retire, but I certainly came here to t- catch my breath. And, and while that didn't happen, it's <laughs> it's been wonderful. But, you know, I wonder, you know, when you think about, uh, we know because the University of Virginia is presenting the film festival and it it, it is in Charlottesville, Virginia, that's a given. But how, beyond the obvious, how does the location, or does it influence the festival film choices? Does it at all? Uh, the location uh, of the Virginia Film Festival being in Charlottesville? Yes. Um, you know, when I came here seven years ago, one of the first things I, I did was I, I went out in the community and I talked to people and I, I said, tell me about the Virginia Film Festival. Mm. And I think at the time, too many people said, well, uh, the University of Virginia does it. Well, of course we do. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's important. But it also disturbed me a little bit because I thought that, well, maybe maybe it's not firing on all cylinders with the community. And maybe uh-huh. we need to think about how the film festival could, could create a bridge that goes two ways. Yes. Um, that brings students and faculty off the ground into the community and community members onto the grounds mm-hmm. in a comfortable way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've set out to forge partnerships in the community with social service organizations and other cultural institutions. Specifically, uh, I work with our programmer, Wesley Harris, at the film festival to make sure that we're programming films that we feel will resonate in the community. In some cases, stretch the community, but oftentimes about topics that we know are important to, to our community. It's one of the reasons why almost every year we have a sidebar films that do deal with locally sourced foods and, and sustainability, as mm-hmm. we did this year with the, the Polish Face documentary, focusing on the Salatin family and their farm. You know, we, we make sure that uh, the wine that's served at the Virginia Film Festival yes. is all wine that's uh, that, that is grown here. Yes, uh, yes. Grapes are grown here, surrounding vineyards. Yes. Uh, so it's part of our commitment to the local economy as well. Uh, so all these things were very important to me, and we've been very fortunate that over, you know, within a couple of years, the, the attendance started to grow dramatically, and I think it's because the community perceived that we were invested in the community, and mm-hmm. the community in turn embraced the festival and felt very much invested in the festival as a result of that. So we've been fortunate, uh, and I feel very strongly that all of the arts, mm-hmm. and in particular, any festival is an opportunity for community building. Yes. And, and we would be very remiss not to take that opportunity. 
Well, you know, I, I have to confess, that's exactly why I asked the question, because I know where you're coming from, and I have seen that. I've been here long enough to know that between Charlottesville, the city, and the university, and then Charlottesville, and the university, and the county of Albemarle, there have been growing pains. But I want to say, personally, watching the last seven years as the film festival, Virginia Film Festival, uh, developed under your leadership, I have seen exactly what you were describing, and I hear people saying it in, in conversations and coffee shops, that there's a coming together now. There is a closer uh, involvement and exchange, and as you say, a bridge that works, uh, that goes both ways, between the city and the grounds, and between the county and the city and grounds. And, and for those who are not from here, grounds refers to the land, <laughs> the actual University of Virginia itself. And we're going to take... A short break. This has been grand. Don't go away. Stay with us. We will be back to talk with Jody Kibasa, the director of the Virginia Film Festival and vice provost for the arts at the University of Virginia. There's a lot more to discuss, so stay with us. We'll be right back. And now... Another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. Horror movies at the multiplex these days seem to focus on copious amounts of blood and guts rather than truly scary moments. So it is refreshing to find a film that can be frightening without having to resort to shocking its audience with chainsaws and severed heads. That's not to say, however, that Martha Marcy May Marlene won't shock you. Elizabeth Olsen stars as Martha, a young woman who is drawn into and subsequently escapes from a cult in upstate New York. After her flight from the cult's farm, she seeks refuge with her sister and her husband to figure out what to do next. Scenes of Martha's time with her sister are interspersed with scenes of her days with the cult, some of which are truly unsettling, especially a chilling rite of passage sacrifice in the woods. What makes Martha Marcy May Marlene so efficiently scary is how it plays with time and memory. Martha is still not sure what's real or false, which memories actually happened and which are just bad dreams. Olsen does a top-notch job and an unsettling turn by the Oscar-nominated John Hawks as the cult's leader is another standout performance. If you're looking for something scary other than the latest slasher movie, well, here you go. Martha Marcy May Marlene, not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices radio talk show. My guest today, this afternoon, is Jody Kilvasa. He is the director of the Virginia Film Festival and the University of Virginia Vice Provost for the Arts. And we were talking about how film in general, but specifically, uh, especially in my opinion, in the last seven years that Jody has been the director of the, the Virginia Film Festival, it has had an impact of unity between the city of Charlottesville, the University of Virginia, which is in the city of Charlottesville, but that has not always been of the city, and Jody will go into that, and the county of Albemarle County, I think... Um, the reach of the film festival has, well, Jody, you why don't you finish that? I know. No, I, yeah. you know I, just, I just wanted to add that I think that um, when I came here seven years ago, I think that um, uh, I, I, I 
founded and ran an entirely different film festival in, in Sarasota, mm-hmm. uh, Florida. And when I came here, I think one of the important things for me was not to assume from the beginning that I that I was part of the community. I had to earn that right mm-hmm. uh, by becoming part of the community, by living here, getting to know people, uh, hopefully creating something within the community that had some value. And uh, so I, I, I set out to build a festival, or I should say build upon the festival that had been really, you know, functioning mm-hmm. very well for many, many, many years before I came, but a festival that I felt would reflect Charlottesville, Mm -hmm. uh, essentially reflect our community. You know, sure, sometimes we might stretch stretch people a little bit, but but really it was important that that I become part of that community so I could understand the community more, and as we look at the program, truly start to to hone in on films that we feel would be interesting and dynamic for our community, that reflected topics of interest to the community. And, you know, I'm very fortunate that Charlottesville is a rich and diverse community that, that, you know, is interested in a lot of things. So it's not like that was a difficult task, Mm -hmm. but I put that front and center uh, for us to develop our film program, and and I do believe that that's paid off uh, over the years, and uh, been very, very helpful in establishing the festival, and certainly in garnering our community's support. You know, I I wonder, and I know I don't put you on the spot with a question like this, but I, I want to... I want to ask, first of all, how how large is your team? I know you have a lot of partners that uh, bring their professional expertise, but I mean the team that you put together to actually produce the film festival, the logistics. Well, besides myself, the festival has three full-time employees that include a managing director, a, a business administrator, and then, uh, as I mentioned earlier, Wesley Harris, our, our festival programmer. Uh, but then we also job in other individuals that work for the festival leading up to it part-time. Mm-hmm. So uh, those roles could include a volunteer coordinator because we have over 200 volunteers, and as you can imagine, that's, that's, that's quite a bit to manage, yes. sign up, recruit, manage. Uh, we have a, a publicist, uh, John Kelly, that works for the festival, who's mm-hmm. uh, extraordinary, uh, and, and that is on a, a, a contract, not for the entire year. And then we have some other uh, positions, a, 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 a sort of a guest services person who really deals with travel of our, our guest artists that are coming in, because we bring in, oh, probably over 125 people to the festival that are sure. that are filmmakers, producers, directors, actors, and again, uh, imagine coordinating a travel and watching exactly. these people as they come in and their schedules, etc. And a production coordinator, because as we've expanded the festival, the number of screenings, which I think the year before I came, hovered around 60, 65 to mm-hmm. over 130 plus screenings. Yeah. Um, We've expanded the number of venues that we're managing, uh, the different formats for projection. So uh, again, the production values uh, and and the projection formats are really you know challenging mm-hmm. to, make, to manage. Oh yes. Um, so again, that that team grows, and of course we couldn't do the festival without. Um, we have an internship program for students. So we have a dozen interns that work on the festival every year, and then we have 200 plus volunteers. Wow. So it's it's a big shock. It's a it's, it's a bit of an army. <laughs> now again, all of that, the 200 volunteers really come into play the week of the festival. Yes. So it's not like that that's you know going on for months or anything like mm-hmm. that. So you know this is not full time. The full time are the you know three additional staff members that I mentioned at the outset. Mm-hmm. Well, how then? I'm going to ask my question, no matter how silly it may sound. Why? do you do it? Why do these people come together and obviously work so hard 
to produce a film festival every year? Well, you know, I think it's a remarkably culturally enriching event. I think mm -hmm. it is, is the largest or certainly one of the largest um, cultural events here in Charlottesville yes. and, and probably in central Virginia. And unlike other events that sometimes focus on one area, because the festival has such a canvas to paint on. Our films can cover so many topics from religion to sexuality to sustainability to locally sourced food to politics to the presidency to government on and on mm. and on and mm -hmm. on and as a result of that the level of engagement both across the grounds of the university and in our community and outward into the commonwealth is extraordinary. Mm -hmm. um, so that's really exciting. Yes. It's a really exciting and dynamic uh, program to build each year, and each year we start from scratch, uh, and that usually begins in January when uh, Wesley, our festival programmer, and I journey out to the Sundance Film Festival, and between us we probably see between 55 and 60 films there, and then we journey to other film festivals, South by Southwest, or Telluride, or the AFI Doc Festival, or the Full Frame Documentary Film Festival, or River Run Film Festival, and, and others that we consider adding on to that, mm -hmm. and then we also have an open call entries and this past year we had over 900 films that were submitted for our consideration from all over the world yeah. and amongst those is a heavy slate of films that come from within the commonwealth itself and mm -hmm. i might add that we always waive the entry fee for any filmmakers here from the commonwealth of virginia because part of our goal and role is to support filmmaking in, mm. in the Commonwealth of Virginia, and we feel that's really, really important charge that we have. So we do everything we can to screen films, yes. as long as they're good, and we're fortunate that so many of the films that we have made here in Virginia are really quality films, and we have excellent filmmakers. Mm -hmm. That's great. Excellent. Excellent. Tell us something, I mean, because clearly you are... Your expertise is obvious, your hard work is obvious, and your passion is obvious. So how do you feel, for instance, um, I know, I, I think I heard someone, maybe it was even John Kelly told me uh, to, uh, to ask you about what you experienced, because I I went through some of this too, especially on the downtown mall. Um, the Seeing so many people screening at the Paramount Theater, which is the big theater for those who do not know on the downtown mall in Charlottesville, Meg Ryan's directing debut of Ithaca, so many people coming to that, and then standing outside as that audience left, seeing 500 people standing in line to see the, the screening in the same theater of a, um, uh, of the, it's a, the, the Norwegian um, uh, film. Uh, does that, yes, the, yeah, yes, uh, yeah, yes. That was Friday night during the festival, and it really was a sort of crystallized moment for me because I came out. It was, you know, a strangely balmy evening in Charlottesville mm -hmm. for what is usually a crisp, cool autumn night. Yes. Instead, it was balmy, and, and the downtown mall was kind of hopping with people outdoors eating. And uh, nearly 1,100 people came out of the Paramount Theater having just seen Meg Ryan's directorial debut and listened uh, on to the conversation with, with Meg Ryan yes. and the producer of the film. They bumped into a crowd of actually, it was, I think, over 600 people waiting wow. in line to see this Norwegian disaster film <laughs> at 9 o'clock at night in the Paramount. So you had, you know, 1,700 plus people converging right in the heart of Charlottesville yes. on the downtown mall. And, and 
you know, the energy, it was electric. It was absolutely electric out in the downtown mall. And many of these people dumping into the restaurants and the bars or grabbing a bite of Christian's Pizza or somewhere on mm-hmm. the mall. Uh, but then many of them piling right back into the movie theaters, going over to the Violet Crown or Vinegar yes. Hill to see the, you know, the 10 o'clock run of films coming out. Yes. And so to me, that was tremendously exciting and a, and a very proud moment for me because, you know, I know that this is creating a, an economic boom for Charlottesville sure. as well. So people that, that, for whatever reasons, are not even interested in attending the festival are benefiting mm-hmm. uh, in some ways through that uh, boost for the local economy, which uh, obviously, you know, makes me happy. It makes yes. me very proud. So, you know, I think there's a lot of good that comes out of the Virginia Film Festival. And, and, and with a nod to the other festivals as well, the Festival of the Book, uh, the Look 3 Film Festival, the Tom Tom Festival, these are all um, important to the community mm-hmm. and create a rich and wonderful dynamic on so many levels. And, and I... I... I love that you you are, I mean, and again, I join you in tipping the hat to the other festivals here, but I love it that, that uh, the Commonwealth of Virginia is becoming, with with a lot of things that are going on, but especially with the film festival, with people like Erica Arvold and, uh, and of course, the film office in Richmond, but it, uh, this Commonwealth of Virginia is becoming a go-to place for film production. You know, and I love that. I mean, I know a lot is going on in Atlanta, Georgia, and of course, North Carolina, but uh, we are holding our own, and I think that a lot of that has to do with the Virginia Film Festival. So, well, you know, the, the festival was created originally by Governor Gerald Belisle, yes. along with Patricia Kluge, and the concept was to highlight and throw a spotlight on filmmaking in the Commonwealth and, and to uh, attract, you know, world-class artists to come in from around the world and Hollywood and New York uh, and, and really, you know, experience natural beauty uh, mm-hmm. of Virginia. Uh, and to, to get a real sense and appraisal of the filmmaking community that exists here. So they'll be encouraged to move uh, some of their their um, their filming here from time to time. Mm-hmm. And uh, certainly the Virginia Film Office has been a huge supporter of the festival. And they have a remarkable track record over the years, and in particular the last several years, of, of tra- attracting some big-name projects yes. uh, like Captain Phillips, like Lincoln, but uh, also uh, perhaps some some lower-profile but important ones like Ithaca or one of the screenings we did during the festival is of Mercy Street, which is a new PBS series mm-hmm. uh, that just launched this past Sunday, I believe, on PBS mm-hmm. uh, with, a, with an all-star cast that takes place in a Civil War hospital. And, of course, UVA was a Civil War hospital at yes. one point so yes. during the Civil War. So uh, it was fun for us to screen that and to have have uh, Elizabeth uh, Winstead in and Hannah James, who hails from Central Virginia, but is launching her career in this new series and is one of the stars of it, uh, and to throw a spotlight on, on the great work that's being done here in the Commonwealth. Yes. Wow. Absolutely. I wonder... You know, one one thing we haven't talked about, except I mentioned at the very beginning, it's the success, obviously, this entire conversation has been about the success of the Virginia Film Festival is more than the number of uh, tickets you sell. And that's what we've been talking about. But I wonder, the, film, the Virginia Film Festival is a not-for-profit organization, and it doesn't, doesn't have deep pockets. So what is the financial reality after the festival movies have been screened and everyone's been happy and all of we've been talking about what's the financial reality when everyone goes home well I, <laughs> the financial reality in spite of our, our uh, 
rising attendance and our box office success the last several years is each year we're lucky to break even. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the reason for that is quite frankly uh, uh, the stratospheric growth of the festival. Um, mm-hmm. Each year we're adding screenings. Uh, we're adding uh, more venues, and we're bringing in more film artists. And there's an expense with all of that, uh, and we're happy to do it because what we want to offer Charlottesville and the Commonwealth is an important destination festival that is bringing in the very best films in any given cinematic year that have made the festival rounds, mm-hmm. and bringing the very best film artists that we can possibly bring in. And so, if you familiar with the festival you've honestly seen a spike the last two to three years in the number of films the number of screening venues, mm-hmm. and in particular the number of guest artists that we're bringing in and some of them are incredibly high profile like yes. Meg Ryan or yes. Ashley Judd or Oliver Stone or Barry Levinson or Katie Couric and others are the emerging artists that we're, we're bringing in more and more all the time because we're investing in the future by bringing these artists in mm-hmm. we believe that if we show them a quality experience which we make sure that we do that they will return with bigger films yes. films, uh, and they'll be further along in their careers and they'll have, they'll have uh, established a loyalty with the Virginia Film Festival and the community here in Charlottesville. So uh, the festival continues to grow, not just so we can say we're bigger, mm-hmm. but because we're, we're delivering a richer cultural experience here for our community. I think that's very important. Yes. And and that experience includes, uh, as you say, people like Oliver Stone, uh, uh, Ashley Judd, who I actually had an opportunity to interview last year, and Meg Ryan, of course. Um, uh, and they're, we're promoting films, but uh, there's an, all the interaction with other industry people and the and the range of filmmakers that are available for conversation, for panel discussions, questions. Um, it's um, it's it's a win-win, uh, and I guess I have to say, what I, I know your your head must still be spinning a bit from what has just been accomplished in the 2015, and you say you won't start until January. But what are you? Um, how do you feel after it's it's it, you know it's wrapped? <laughs> You know, immediately there's a sense of relief. We got through that. We got through it. Things went well, and then I think there's a, there's always a little bit of a sense of loss or mourning yes. because yes. you know suddenly you you worked hard all year to produce this very large event. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people say, "What's your favorite film?" Well, it's like you know, it's like choosing between your children. Yeah. They're all you know, they're all your babies, and <laughs> yes. you want to make sure that they're all well received. And every artist that we bring in is important to us, whether there's somebody you've never heard of before, or it's Oliver Stone or. Ryan, mm. and everybody's familiar with their careers. So, uh, you know, there's a, there's that sense of immediate loss and a little bit of letdown, and then suddenly, you know, two weeks later, you're reviewing what you did well and mm-hmm. what you could do better, mm-hmm. and you start to put uh, plans in place for uh, presenting the next festival and improving upon it. Mm. And as I mentioned, that, that does happen in November mm-hmm. and December, and then when we get into January, we start to really begin the process of selecting a new program, which goes all the way up until the night before we actually announced the program, because I yes. think I shared with you on an earlier yes. broadcast that we added Meg Ryan and Ithaca the night before I was to make the announcement in front of 400 people and go live for sales on our website, yes. uh, which, which created an, an immediate domino effect in the program, and we actually then delayed the release of about, uh, I mean, the addition of about 13 or 14 other films till 10 days later. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's exciting and dynamic and not unusual in the film festival. Yeah, and heart pounding too. I remember you when you told me that. I thought, oh my God. Well, you know, yeah. what what are you going to do? It, it's it's. And that was that was again the last day of September when that all yes. happened. So so again, you're looking at a nine to ten ten month process of looking, reviewing films, scouting films, taking recommendations from film uh, professionals, and having some submitted to us for consideration. Well. It, you know, this has been a, a marvelous conversation. I hate to see it come to an end, but I, I don't want to end without, you know, the website or anything you want to say to our listeners about, you know, why they should come next and uh, how they can contribute. Uh, what do well, they do? I mean, uh, we, we certainly welcome uh, uh, financial support from anybody out mm-hmm. there. But, but more than anything, you know, our goal this year is to, to put together the very best festival we possibly can for the community of Charlottesville and, and the Commonwealth um, and all of the support, whether it's just buying a ticket for the festival, whether it is volunteering, which is so crucial to us putting on to the mm-hmm. festival, to, to just your interest is important. And, uh, you know, our, our website is virginiafilmfestival.org. You can learn more about the festival if perchance this is your first exposure to it, um, our conversation today, mm-hmm. and uh, know that uh, uh, sometime right after the new year we'll announce our dates for next year but it's generally the first weekend in november so mm-hmm. you can generally count on it around that time and uh, we look forward to having everybody return next year fantastic okay everyone this has been a tremendous conversation with jody kibasa who again i remind you is the uh, director of the virginia film festival and is also the vice provost for the arts at the university of virginia that produces the the Virginia Film Festival. Jody, it's been a great conversation. I'm so glad we we got to talk today. And um, it's fun talking about things after they're done, too. (laughs) I know. Thank you, Marcello. Always a great pleasure. Thank you very much. I feel the same way. All the best to you and the future, and I hope you get a couple of weeks to relax before you start it all over again. Take care. Thanks so much. Thank you. Okay, bye now. Bye-bye. Stay with us as we'll be right back with a final comment from The Reasonable Voice. And now, another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. Ethan Hawke, star of Stage and Screen, was beginning to doubt he was in the right business. Like many fellow actors and creative artists, he felt a sense of fear and inadequacy when performing. Losing confidence that his work held meaning or relevance, he was at a loss for what to do about it. That is, until the night he sat down at a dinner table with Seymour Bernstein. The result of their meeting is an extraordinary documentary biopic by Mr. Hawke. Seymour, an introduction. Not to be confused with the fine J.D. Salinger novella. We would all be fortunate indeed to sit at a dinner party with the delightful Mr. Bernstein. We would all come away refreshed by devotion to excellence and with witty and passionate insights into the meaning of life, the arts, and the nature of creativity. Seymour is a quiet little 87-year-old man who has lived unpretentiously in his one-room New York apartment all his life. Dig a little deeper and you'll find he was once a renowned virtuoso pianist who gave up a thriving career to teach. His sensibilities, talents, and words are extraordinarily inspirational to students and friends who call him one of the most influential people they've ever known. 
thankfully, now movie audiences may well do the same. Seymour, an introduction. Not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Find us on the web at IndieFilmMinute.com. Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, thanking you for joining us in becoming one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Missing you and us, too. There was little reason for my grandmama to leave her huge farm to go into town a few miles away for groceries, gasoline, farm equipment, overalls, and newspapers. Now I only go back for the funerals and do hear on the breeze what I've missed. I'm not into romanticizing the past. Believing things, for the most part, are always improving. Until G.W. and Cheney, of course. As long as what's new doesn't obliterate what's been with what's coming round the bend. I don't miss Mayberry or my slumlord friends on Shelter Island, but I do miss New York City neighborhoods, walking city blocks, and being constantly in rehearsals for something. I miss Gypsy and Heinrich, best and worst watchdogs, respectively. Don't miss Dad and Mom so much as it still feels like they're here. But I do miss people who trim their trees back from power lines, so when the winds come, we keep our A.C. I miss hailing a yellow cab for Carol Channing, strolling Midtown with Colin Dewhurst, and chatting with James Whitmore about the next voice you hear. He said I was too young to have seen it, but while other boys my age were outside playing ball, I was watching old movies on TV. Mr. Whitmore was so proud of the fact that he had made the movie with Nancy Reagan before she met Ronnie. But I told him I would never forget what it felt like when God spoke to him on his radio. I miss that. I miss taking time to tune up with morning prayers and reel-to-reel Gregorian chant. I don't miss fast cars and curvy roads, for that's still how I relax. I miss Jimmy Stewart and Harvey. Yul Brenner and the American Original Six. Gregory Peck, whom Mom told, my son is an actor too. I never miss Florida, except when I think of hurricanes 250 miles offshore pinning me against the lifeguard chair, streaking back my hair with beach sand, my lips rimmed like a margarita glass, and the ocean some distance away lapping occasionally at my toes, as a seagull above makes no headway because of headwinds. I miss the silence that can only be heard without the din, and I miss people who understand the wisdom in that. I miss Marvine's white boots as much as our drama classes. I miss my voice lessons with Wayne and Ernie, and both the Peabody and Baltimore Opera in the days of George Woodhead and Bill Januzzi, the only man who smoked more cigarettes than my 61-year-old brother, just diagnosed with the lungs of an 80-year-old. I miss him already. For me, missing is more happy memories than sad longing. But I do miss not seeing my best friend Lance Thomas Viney. However, I don't miss the Silver Diner, his favorite dining choice. I do miss my annual trips to Europe, but it was a wonderful career that suspended them, so we make our choices. I miss dates on letters even to find telephone numbers on bills, and I miss sleeping more than five hours a night. But most of all, I miss who we were in the sixties. I miss Abraham, Martin, and John, and Bobby, too. <laughs> 
Join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard around the world. Thank you. Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Website. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Music